Thank you for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. To discover more about Four Mile Creek or what it means to follow Jesus, you can visit us online at www.fourmilecreek.org. Here is this week's message. Who forgot to set your clocks forward an hour? My watch is not yet set forward an hour, so we've got uh, two hours and ten minutes until we have to uh, wrap up. We're in Acts chapter 4 today, beginning in verse 32. We will continue through Acts 5 as we continue looking at uh, the book of Acts and what the Lord has for us as a church. We're dealing today with the account of Ananias and Sapphira and... uh, I've lived with this sermon for a week now, so if you start to feel uncomfortable in this sermon, well, tough cookies, Uh, I've been living with it for a week. You know, if you hear the eyewitnesses of the atomic test recount their experience, it's quite an unnerving uh, time. Uh, You you hear sailors who were there uh, in the Pacific as they were testing it with underwater detonation, and some will say that in that flash they could see the skeletons of those next to them, that uh, they realized that a force had been unleashed that was uh, unlike anything we had seen before. And indeed, the atom bomb, it is deadly, but there's a force more deadly than that. It's sin. And sin is anything we think, say, or do that displeases God and breaks His rules. We sin in what we fail to do, and we sin in what we do at times. Sin is a pervasive thing. There is no cure in and of ourselves for it. And even Christians, though we be blood-bought and redeemed, we still struggle with sin. The Bible tells us about sin, that God not only hates the sin, He also hates the sinner. Now that is a hard reality. God not only hates the sin, he hates the sinners. Psalm 5, 5 and 11, 5. Yet he also simultaneously loves the sinners. Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In his children, he despises sin in our lives and he convicts us of that sin and he disciplines us. And as we've journeyed through Acts, we've discovered that we're to be a church on mission. We've looked at the how, we've looked at the why, we've looked at other important things that we need to consider and we need to emulate as we seek to be a church on mission. But now we turn that attention inwardly because as his instruments, we're to be clean before him. I don't know about you, but there's nothing that uh, disturbs me more than when I go to a restaurant and the utensils or the plates are not clean. I don't want to, I don't want to use dirty plates. I don't want to use dirty utensils. And God's not going to use people who are not clean before him. We have to be clean. The psalmist writes in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, and who has not sworn deceitfully. Can I ask you, are you able to ascend the mountain of the Lord? Are you able to go in his presence? Are you able to lift your hands? How do we become clean before God? If we want to be a church on mission, we must be clean. We must have all sin confessed and repented of. We cannot harbor it. Today's passage, it offers us a warning and it causes us to consider our own lives. Ananias and Sapphira were part of the family, but they brought an impure offering to God and his people, and God took them out. 
As one preacher noted, they were unable to see what God had in store for them and for the church. In a way, they short-circuited God's plan for them, and they missed out on His work. You know, there is nothing more petrifying for me as one who gets to preach than doing something that would jeopardize the calling. It is a privilege to be able to stand and preach. It is a privilege to be able to pastor. It's a privilege to be able to lead God's people. And one of the scariest thoughts is that I have the potential, as we all do, to do something that would jeopardize the call. We all have that potential. I have that potential. You have the potential. But yet God calls us to be clean. We don't want to short circuit what God has in store for us. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss what God has in store for you. The way you don't miss it is that you were clean before him. In this text today, we're going to see three things. We're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about the reality of it. We're also going to talk about what God offers in light of that. God does not remain angry forever. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. We're going to see that today. So picking up in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. This is what the Bible tells us. Now the entire group, and you'll remember that Peter and John have been uh, appeared before the Jewish religious leaders, and they have been told to be quiet. They say no, they're released. They go back, they're praying for boldness. This is where Luke picks up. The entire group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind, and no one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. Wouldn't you like to be characterized as a people with great grace on you? Verse 34, for there was not a needy person among them because all of those uh, who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then this was distributed to each person as they had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth and one of the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now that's the background. Chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira does not make sense without those verses. You have one under no compulsion to go and sell what he had, bring everything from that out of his own freedom, out of his own freedom of choice, and give it to God and his people. It was his to sell, it was his to give. He did it freely and without any compulsion. Now let me just say this. What you do not give freely, in the words of Adrian Rogers, God neither needs nor wants. So when you give to the ongoing work of this church, when you give to Annie Armstrong, when you give uh, uh, to mission work, you should do so freely, without reservation, cheerfully, and joyfully. If you do it under compulsion, God doesn't want it, God doesn't need it. Does that make sense? Now, let me also say this. I'm just going to go ahead and preempt, preemptively answer this question. You may say, so is God calling me to sell everything I have and give to the church? Uh, I'm not God, so I cannot tell you yes or no. But I will tell you that the most likely thing he is calling you to do is to be generous with what you do have. Okay? That is what God is certainly calling you to. He is calling you and I to be generous with the resources he's entrusted us with. 
Don't be, don't, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I just forgot my, I forgot how to talk. He, don't, oh, good night. Do not be um, stingy. Thank you. I forgot my <laughs> words there. Don't be stingy with what you have. Be generous with it, okay? Now, there's a whole sermon in and of those verses. I just want to go ahead and preemptively answer that question. Does God call me to sell everything to give to the church? Well, maybe, maybe not. More, more than likely, he is calling you to be generous and not stingy, okay? In fact, I know he's calling you to be generous and not stingy. Now, with that, we need to understand that Barnabas comes. He gives everything freely uh, uh, with, with out of his own volition. He does not do it out of compulsion. And then we're introduced to two more people. We're introduced to Ananias and Sapphira. It's a contrast here. You have one who brings an offering that is acceptable to God. He gives it freely. He gives it uh, out of his own volition. He does not give it out of compulsion. He gives generously, right? If all he wanted to give was a tenth of that, he was enabled, uh, he, he was empowered and more than able to do that. He was not under obligation to give it all to the church. He did it generously, not in order to build a name for himself, but simply to help meet a need. Chapter 5, verse 1. This is the text we're dealing with today. But a man named Ananias, and with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back a part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge, and he brought a portion of it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds for the land, wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it yours at your disposal? Why is it that you have planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. We're going to continue into verse 5. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and great fear came on all who heard him. Young men got up, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word, God, and we thank you that you enable us and empower us to give freely and generously of all that you've entrusted us. But God, we also thank you that you are also willing and able to shine the light on our hearts to reveal to us sin that we need to confess to you. God, we want to be clean. We want to be able to ascend to the mountain of the Lord. God, we do not want to... We... we, God, we, we don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira who, who lied to you. God, who knowingly sinned. God, we pray as the psalmist did to keep us from both intentional and unintentional sin. Lord, and when we do sin, God, we pray that you would enable us and empower us to respond to your conviction, to confess it to you, to repent of it, so that we might be a people who were cleaned before you. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Here's your first point today. God demands holiness in all things. He demands holiness in all things. You know, I think holiness is one of these words that we like to use, but we don't always understand what it means. Kayla and I this week, uh, we discovered that we were talking about uh, the same thing with different terms that both of us understood meant different things. You know what it was about? Shower curtains and shower liners. All shower liners are shower curtains, but not all shower curtains are shower liners. I learned that this week, and I've got some women in this sanctuary nodding their head. Yes, yes, thank you for showing up to the club. I did not know that. And I think holiness is one of these things that we, we, we use the word, but we don't always know what it means. So I did some research this week, looked up uh, what holiness is. 
In the Concise Theological Dictionary, Miller Erickson defines it this way, it is purity and freedom from sin. It is being set apart for special service. When you read the Old Testament, arguably even when you read the New Testament, it becomes a story of God taking people, places, and things for himself to make it holy. When God works, when God calls you, when God saves you, when God designates a place or a thing for himself, he makes it holy. It's set apart for him. It is, it is made pure. It is made right. By the way, if you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are holy before God. There is no need for you to replay the sins of the past. He's forgiven it. He's forgotten it. You're pure. You're holy. You're set, you're set free from sin. You're not in bondage to that. And by the way, can I just tell you that the only power sin has in your life is the power that you give it when you choose to disobey. That's the only power sin has in your life when you choose to give it power in your disobedience. Don't be disobedient. Don't give sin a foothold. Don't give it an opportunity. God demands holiness in all things. Ananias and Sapphira sat down and they plotted attempt, an attempt in order to deceive God. By the way, you can't deceive God. As we learn in the Old Testament, your sin will find you out. There is nothing that God does not notice. There is nothing he does not notice. God is totally holy and pleasing. If you're in Christ, you're holy. And here's the reality, because your sin will find you out, you need to seek to be holy in all things. If you keep in the back of your mind, you know, I really don't want to have to confess this to the Lord because that's going to break his heart. And I'm going to have to be disciplined for that. And I want to please him in all things. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't, I don't want to make him uh, have to discipline me. I don't want to break his heart when he does that. It'll keep you from sin. It'll keep you from sin. You know, children are a lot less likely to disobey when they know their parents are watching. Kids will be on really good behavior if mom and dad's in the room. And I just tell you that God in his omniscience and omnipresence is always there. There is nowhere God is not. You can go to the highest mountain, deepest part of the ocean, he's there. You can hide under a rock, he's there. You can stay in your house, he's there. God's there. There's no part that he isn't. He demands holiness in all things. Be above board. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. This is what Peter writes. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope, that is a confident and favorable expectation of a future reality, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Listen, before you came to Jesus, you were ignorant. You didn't know any better. You sinned because that's all you knew. Don't, once you've been saved, don't go back to that. Don't conform your desires to that former ignorance. He goes on, verse 15, But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. In everything you do, be holy, be above board, be pure, be free from sin, be set apart for the service of God. It is a simple analogy. But it gets the point across. We were coordinating uh, a leadership training, or we were hosting, rather, a leadership training for the Tri-County Baptist Association when I was at Towertown Baptist Church. Had the weather not turned sour, we'd probably had about 200 people there. Weather turned sour, we probably should have canceled it, and we didn't. We had about 80 to 100 people there. And so we're setting up for this thing. And we have laid a spread, as good Baptists do. 
we have laid a spread. We've got sweets, we've got savory things, we've got tea, we've got water, we've got it all laid out. And we're putting these uh, tablecloths down. And Clint and I, who is our maintenance guy, we're trying to get this tablecloth right. And for the life of us, it didn't matter what we did, the tablecloth would not be level. We'd move it just a little bit over here and all of a sudden you'd, you'd do the same on the other side. And I was so tired, we'd been working all day on this place, I just said, you know what, Clint, it's good enough, it's done. There was nothing about that tablecloth that was good enough. I mean, nothing about it. And I was so frustrated that I just kind of threw my hands up while I was walking away, and the Holy Spirit said, everything you do, you do as unto the Lord. Amen. Clint, <laughs> we got to fix it. I wouldn't want Jesus to eat off of this table. I wouldn't want him to take a piece of cake from this table either. That tablecloth's not good enough. It's not fit for a king. Let's get it right. In everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. If you do everything with that mentality, you may not hit holiness every time because you know what? You still struggle with sin, but you'll hit it quite a bit. In all your conduct, be holy. In your words, be holy. In your actions, be holy. In your business dealings, be holy. Listen, in your financial dealings, be holy. Make good on your debts. We shouldn't have to say that, but listen, make good on your debts. If you owe somebody money, pay them. All right? I, 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 by the way, I don't know if we have any of that issue in here, but you know what? I know people well enough. Make good on your debts. If you agree to do a job at a certain rate, do it. Business owners, that might mean you lose some money. I understand that. I was building a table for a lady, and uh, I agreed to do it at a set rate. Well, when it was said and done, I think I went $100 in the hole on that thing. Ain't to my profit line and everything. But I agreed to do it at a certain rate. I was not going to come back and change that. Be above board. Your reference there is James 5.4. Be above board in your relationships. Ephesians 5.1. Hey, parents, you need to parent as unto the Lord. Okay? You are to be a reflection of God's love, grace, and mercy in the lives of your children. If you're not being that, why are you not being that? If you're not being that, then what steps do you need to do and need to take in order to reflect God's love, grace, and mercy? I said Wednesday night, what may just be a Tuesday for you may be a life moment for your child. Reflect the Lord in your parenting. Hey, all of you uh, 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 people who are not married but are dating or wanting to date and wanting to get married, be above board in your dating relationships. When you get engaged, be above board in that. In your marriage, all you married people, reflect God in your marriage. You are a picture of the gospel. You are a picture of Christ and his bride. Reflect him well. Love one another well. Forgive one another. If you get into, uh, 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 I have forgotten how to talk it. If, if you get into some arguments, talk through them. Work through them. Forgive, forget, and move on. Honor God in that. Be holy in your marriage. In your word, if you say you're going to do X, Y, Z, then you know what you do? You do X, Y, Z. In your job, work is for the Lord. Can I just tell you something? You may be having a check signed by that business owner, but ultimately, you are an ambassador of Christ. Work for Him. Work for Him. All you business owners, all you leaders, you need to lead your business, you need to lead your organizations in a way that reflect Christ. Now, that may mean that you have to make some tough decisions. 
That may mean that the kind thing is not always the nice thing. But you need to reflect Christ. Lead as unto the Lord. You need to honor God in what you do. Consider the question before you act. If I do fill in the blank, will God be honored by it? If he's not going to be honored by it, then why do it? Don't waste your time if it's not going to honor God. Be holy in all of your dealings. Ananias and Sapphira were not holy. They conspired. They premeditated a crime before God. By the way, sin can be premeditated. That's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But sin can be premeditated. This was not like, oops, I accidentally lied. Have you ever accidentally lied? I have. I mean, I have. And I, I knew it. I, I, was, I was so afraid. Uh, I was in a Sunday school gathering a few years back, and I was getting ready to leave. I had not yet made the announcement yet. And somebody asked in a group of 20-plus people, Brother Craig, are you getting ready to resign? I was so petrified by that. First thing out of my mouth was a lie. I didn't even think about it. I was so petrified because we weren't ready to make the announcement. I said no. And I thought, oh, Lord, I lied. I lied. And so I just rolled with it. And before, and that was on a Thursday or Friday, and that Sunday, I said, I got to go tell these people. That, that's not right. We're announcing today. I need to tell these people. And there were some retired preachers and preacher wives in that room. And they looked at me after I told them. And Wayne and Jeanette was who it was. And they looked at me. And Jeanette said, oh, we knew. Because we've done the same thing. Because something very similar happened to us. We knew Craig. And uh, it's just our little secret. And I said, well, I still shouldn't have lied. But sin can be premeditated. Sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes you just get into it and you don't know what it is. Even then, confess your sin to the Lord. Confess it. Confess it to others. Make restitution where you can. Sin is always hurtful to somebody. It's always hurtful to God. It's always hurtful to you. It's always hurtful to others. Confess it as sin. Well, it was an accident. Confess it as sin if it's sin. Repent of it. And then commit not to do it again. You know what I learned after that? You know what? If I'm ever getting ready to resign again, and somebody asks me, I'm just going to tell them whether or not I'm ready to make the announcement. I guess that'll be the announcement at that point what I learned. Also, by the way, don't let your sin go to waste. If, if, if you end up getting in sin, let me explain that. If you end up getting in sin, and God convicts you of that, and he disciplines you for that, learn from that as David did in Psalm 51, and commit to teach the rebellious the ways of the Lord. Don't waste your pain, even when your pain is self-induced. Okay? Man, there aren't a lot of amens in this sermon. <laughs> Either I'm not making sense or y'all are thinking I'm not comfortable. God demands holiness in all areas. Am I making sense? Okay. God demands holiness in all areas. He desires honest confession when we do sin. He desires honest confession when we do sin. Continuing on, picking up in verse 7. About three hours later, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her. Did you sell the land for this price? Now let me stop there. As I've studied this, this is what I've become convinced of. This was her opportunity to fess up. Do I think there would have been some type of discipline? Absolutely. Do I think it would have resulted in death? I don't know about that. 
That's just my religious imagination there, so don't take that as gospel truth. But this was her opportunity to fess up. Peter has asked her, unlike his interaction with Ananias, he has asked Sapphira, did you sell the land for this price? Listen to her response. Yes, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet, and when the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. The reality is, we're going to sin. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. I don't care if you're 12 years old and just started following him yesterday, or if you're 96 and have been following him for 50 years. You will still sin. You're still going to sin. I I hate that reality. I I hate the reality that sin is a pervasive thing that we wrestle with. And remember, what is sin? Anything we think, say, or do that displeases God and breaks His rules. You're going to sin. But when you do sin, confess it. Don't sit on it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to, my goodness, don't be like I was when I was a little kid and was making a smoothie. I just learned how to make a smoothie. And I may have told this story. If not, I'm going to tell you again. So... Buckle up buttercups. And I was trying to make a smoothie, and I forgot to put the, the lid on the, the blender. And mom was outside in the driveway talking to my grandmother as she was leaving. You know, as Southerners do, you know, you say it's time to leave, and then you talk in the driveway for an hour with the car running. But she came in, and I'm trying to cover this all up. So you know what I did? I locked my mother out of the house. I was trying to clean it up. I was, hey, I was itty-bitty, maybe, maybe 10 or 11. Trying to hide it, trying to cover it up. You, do you know how well that worked for me? Not very well. When you, when you sin, confess it to the Lord. Repent of it. Don't try to hide it. Be honest before the Lord. Why can you be honest before the Lord? Well, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 tells us, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are. Listen, I may not know the temptation that you have, but Jesus knows it. Not only does he know it, he experienced that temptation. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that the temptation Jesus experienced was temptation at its rawest form. It was raw, unmitigated power. He was perfect in all of his ways. He never sinned. We were conceived in iniquity, the psalmist tells us. We're born with a nature inclined to sin and an environment inclined to sin, and we will sin. Read the Baptist faith and message on the, uh, uh, on the condition of man. I, I think it's under the article sin. I think is what it's called in the BFM 2000. Read it. Listen. We just know sin. We don't know anything other than sin. Until we come to Jesus, then we know that there's another alternative. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, was totally perfect, and yet he experienced temptation in its rawest forms. He understands your temptation better than you do at that. So when the scriptures tell us, when Paul writes in the Corinthian letters, that God provides a method of escape from temptation because there is no temptation that is common to man that cannot be overcome by way of escape. What's the way of escape? Through trusting in God. Are we always going to take the way of escape? Unfortunately not. That is not an excuse to sin. If you think that the grace of God is an excuse to sin, friend... We need to have a conversation about what the grace of God is 
and how it applies to your life in the first place. Because I don't think you, I don't think you understand it to start with. It's not an excuse to sin, but Jesus understands it. He's able to sympathize with our weakness because he's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, the author of Hebrews says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and, and find grace to help us in time of need. When we do sin, we go to the one who understands. When you sin, confess it to the Lord. You're not going to shock him. He's not going to say, well, boy, I just didn't expect that one to come up. He knows about it. He knows about it. Psalm 139.2, you know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You're not going to shock them by your sin. There is no sin so embarrassing that God's going to reject you. Confess it to the Lord. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He remembers that we are dust. Psalm 103.14, be honest with yourself when you sin. Be honest with yourself when you sin. Psalm 51.6, surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. You can't confess sin to the Lord that you're not willing to look at. Is, is it going to be tough to look at some sin? Absolutely. It's going to be tough. But when we're honest with ourselves, we're able to confess it to the Lord and we're able to receive mercy and grace for our time of need. John tells us in his first epistle, 1 John 1 9, that if we confess, who can finish it for me so I can take a sip of water? 1 John 1 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. That's what the Bible tells us. Confess your sin to the Lord. He desires honest and truthful confession. You don't have to pretty it up. I thought I was going to die there for a second. I really had to cough and really needed some water. He desires honest confession when we sin. He desires it. So confess it. And by the way, he doesn't stay angry forever. Sin's not fatal. It's not fatal at the end of the day. If you know Jesus, it's not fatal. Are there consequences for sin? Absolutely. But God can still use you. God can still use you despite your sin. David says at the end of Psalm 51, hey, I'll teach rebellious your ways, God. I'll teach rebellious your ways. I was speaking with a young man this week, and he asked me what lessons I learned from when I was a teenager. Is there anything I wish I'd have done different? Oh, boy, there's a lot of things I wish I'd have done different. Can anybody relate to that? You got sins of your youth you wish you wouldn't have done? That now you seek ways to tell those who are younger than you, don't do it. Don't ponder it. Don't consider it. Don't do those things. Let God teach you in that sin. Let God instruct others through your story. Let God cleanse you. David says again in Psalm 51 that if God will cleanse him with hispis, if he will purify me with hispis, he says, and, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. There is only one place your cleansing comes from. Your sins are too many for you to even consider a repayment plan. Well, Brother Craig, my sins aren't that many. You know how many sins are too many? One. One. Your sins are far too many for you to even consider a repayment plan. But friend, can I tell you that his mercy is more? Your sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness and new every morning, praise the Lord, 
our sins. They are many. His mercy is more. He will cleanse you from sin. He will make you whiter than snow. He will purify you. He will make you acceptable before him. Confess your sin and receive his forgiveness. Embrace it. He says if you confess your sin, he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when he forgives you, he forgets it. God will never pull up your sin to wave in your face. God is love, and love keeps no record of wrong. God's not going to reach in his back pocket and say, Well, Craig, do you remember X, Y, Z? He's not going to do that. Confess your sin. He desires honest confession when we do sin, but here's the other reality. He demonstrates mercy and grace to the repentant. He demonstrates mercy and grace to the repentant. Psalm 103.10, He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. God demonstrated mercy by not giving us what we do deserve. What we do deserve is death. We deserve eternal separation from God. Romans 9, 22 to 23, And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath prepared for destruction? In your sin, apart from saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are an object of wrath prepared for destruction. That is what you are. You are an object of wrath. God is withholding his wrath and a demonstration of his kindness in order to lead you to repentance. The text goes on, verse 23 in Romans 9. And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory? Romans 2, 4. Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. When God, sinner, when God does not strike you dead and take your life for your sin, he is demonstrating kindness and grace to you in order that you might respond in repentance. Why doesn't God just take all the sinners out? Because you know what? He gets glory in their repentance. And you know what? The other reality, the other side of this coin, is that if they choose to live a life of rebellion, God will also be glorified in their punishment. There's no amen there, is there? That made you uncomfortable. Yes, God delights when a sinner repents. But you know what? If a sinner refuses to repent, God will get glory out of that individual one way or another. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do you want God to get glory from your life? Do you want, to, do you want him to get glory out of your life through your repentance or through your disobedience and your eternal punishment? He demonstrates mercy and grace to the repentant. Not only does he demonstrate mercy, he demonstrates grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us forgiveness and reconciliation. Psalm 32, 1 through 2, how joyful it is. Uh, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and, who, and, who, and in whose spirit is no deceit. 
2 Corinthians 5.18, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. God gives us forgiveness. He gives us reconciliation. He brings us back into right relationship with him. There is no sin so grotesque. There is no sin so repulsive that God will not step in and save a sinner. My dad was a correctional officer for 35 or 40 years. He retired a colonel from Louisiana Department of Corrections. I had an opportunity right out of high school to tour uh, Rayburn Correctional Center in Vornado, Louisiana. And uh, one of the things about the Louisiana Correctional Facility is that they are the ones who pioneered seminary education in the walls of correctional facilities, partnering with the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. They perfected it in Angola State Penitentiary, which at one point was the bloodiest prison in America. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary comes in, they begin educating these uh, offenders, they begin sharing the gospel with them, and all of a sudden, you know what begins to happen? These offenders repent of their sin, come to faith in Christ, do seminary education, they graduate with an undergraduate degree from the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, they love Jesus, they've, they've not just been reformed and are now when, they're, when they get out, productive members of society, they are now transformed members of society. And those that have life sentences are now sent out to other prisons in the Louisiana penitentiary system to be missionaries in the prison. And I was able to walk through Rayburn Correctional Center. And I was able to tour their chapel. All in that chapel were offenders cleaning, setting up for church services, talking to each other, studying the Bible. Here's the rule when you tour penitentiary. You're not to have any physical contact with the offenders. And then there's me. <laughs> I'm shaking their hands. We're giving each other hugs. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about all these other things. Dad's with me, who's a colonel, and he's over there, and I can feel the discomfort. Like, oh, this is against policy, and they could kill you. But these men were transformed. They discovered that when they confess their sins, God offers mercy and grace to the repentant. Some of these guys are in there. They'll never get out. They're in there for life. They will die in prison. They have no possibility for parole. But Jesus has stepped into their life. He's transformed them. And in that, by the way, not only has the gospel transformed those men, the gospel has transformed a culture. These men are missionaries. I was able to hear one of those men preach. He was uh, in Angola. And the church I was in asked the warden if they would allow him to come and preach in our church. The warden said yes. What's more, the warden would not allow the correctional officers to have their sidearms. They also allowed him to dress in plain clothes. As far as the penitentiary system was concerned, you know what that, that man was no longer? A threat. They knew he had been transformed. By the way, he has since been let out on parole. If you've ever heard of Grace Baptist Church at Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana, he's the founding pastor of it. Google it when you get home. 
He demonstrates mercy and grace. He transforms hearts and minds. Are you in sin? Yeah. You're an enemy of God, but He loves you. He reaches down and He's willing to save your soul. He's willing to transform you. He's willing to make you a new creation. There's only one way to, one way to be made clean before God, and it's through confession to the one who has paid your debt, who has paid your debt and saved your life from the dead. The wonderful thing about all this, as I was thinking about this coming down yesterday, is that Jesus on that cross took all of my sin from the past and all of my sin from the future. And he took that upon himself. And in taking all that sin, he then turned around and he gave me all of his righteousness. Not some of it, not a little bit of it. He gave it all to me. So that when God looks at me, he doesn't deceive himself about who I am. He knows who I was and who I am now because of Jesus. And he says he is totally and perfectly righteous because of what Jesus has done. As we've been studying on Wednesday nights, if you were to put uh, me and Jesus in a chair next to each other, and you were to ask God who he loves more, do you know what he's going to say? I love them both the same. That's what God's willing to do for, for sinners who repent. He's willing to make you new. He's willing to make you whole. He's willing to forgive you the, the guilt of your sin. To make your transgressions like mist, as Isaiah says. To wipe them out. To call you to repent and to turn to him because he's redeemed you. So that he may usher in, as we read in Acts a few chapters ago, seasons of refreshing so, sinner, that's what he's willing to do for you. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, Christian, let me talk to you for a moment. If you're in here and you have known sin that you need to confess and repent of, you know what you need to do? You need to confess and repent of it. If needed, you need to make restitution. You need to pour your heart out before God. You need to seek the forgiveness of others. As far as it depends on you, you need to live at peace with all men. You confess that sin to the Lord, repent of it, you get up and you move on. You don't linger on your old sin. It's confessed, it's forgotten. If you've repented of it and you've made restitution when needed, it's done. Which means if it's being brought up again, it's only one of two people. It's you or Satan and his demons. So Christian, confess your sin. Be clean before him. So that you can ascend the mountain of the Lord. Do not be Ananias and Sapphira. Who determined in their heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. You will short circuit what God has in store for you. And you will short-circuit what God has in store for this church. God is willing to forgive. He desires honest confession when we sin. And he demonstrates mercy and grace to the repentant. As our praise team comes, I want you to stand and pray with me this morning. God, we love you and we thank you. God, I pray that you would... Reveal to us anything in our hearts and our minds that we need to confess to you.
so that we can be made clean. We can be made holy and pure. Not because that's what we want to be. We want to be pure. We want to be holy. And God, I pray that as we go from this place and everything we do, God, and all of our conduct, we'd be holy. God, if there's one in here who's never trusted you and they stand before you as an enemy, God, I pray that right now your spirit would speak to their heart and their mind and say, I stand ready to forgive. Lord, may they respond in faith and obedience, trusting you. And God, for those of us in here who know you, God, may we be people who are clean. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what you've done. And the way that we tap into that cleansing, Lord, is we confess our sin honestly and transparently to you. We love you. We thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in the name of, well, in your name and for your sake. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Sunshine.
Jesus. We have a stewardship team meeting today at 4 o'clock. Stewardship team, is that right? Cool, because I couldn't remember. It's 4 o'clock today. Uh, we have a church work day on the 25th. It's the last Saturday of this month. Sign-up sheets are on the Welcome Center. There's something for everybody to do on that work day. So check it out as you're leaving. Sign up for it. If you've got any questions, come see me, David Lowry. Uh, where's Pat Peak? Well, Pat Peak somewhere. See Pat Peak, myself, or David Lowry, and uh, we can answer any questions you have. Let me pray for us, and then you're dismissed. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you, God. I pray that you would bless us as we go from here. Lord, may we be a church on mission for your glory, God. May we confess that sin, Lord, as, as soon as it happens, whatever it is, Lord. May we confess it to you, repent of it. And uh, trust in your power, Lord, that we abide in you uh, as we seek to resist sin and temptation in all things. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. amen.